Gotta rock your body, gotta move your body. Come on, everybody, just swing your body. Hello. Hey. Oh, that was so gentle. I try, I'm trying to be sweet. <laughs> okay, sweet, David. <laughs> You're listening to Ergo, where we showcase the folks reshaping the culture of Chicago for the more equitable and creative. I am Kiss. I am Damon. And we have a great episode for you today. Usually we're like person-to-person conversation. Here we have a project that we really wanted to, to highlight. We have three people in the studio with us, three of the people behind the Chicago Black Social Culture Map put together by Honeypot Performance. It's a really cool project that highlights the spaces where black people make culture in Chicago. Yeah, so they had a, a strong focus on the history of house music and that cultural tradition, uh, which we've been wanting to like start to have some research on and start to, to document here on our space. So really, really excited to have that conversation today. So before we get to the conversation, uh, a couple reminders. One, please write us a review on Apple Podcasts. One, it just makes us feel good. Uh, but two, it also helps people find we, out about the show. We love affirmation. Do you oh. hear Sweet Damon's voice? <laughs> Affirm me. Tell him how sweet his voice is. <laughs> and uh, say that I interrupt a little too much, but that's okay. That's all I'm asking for. Just tell me it's okay. <laughs> so tell us it's okay in Apple Podcasts. Give us a rating. Uh, you can buy your Ergo Tees online. Bring us to your campus or your organization to help you all figure out how to communicate with each other. And jump back into the archives. Find an old Ergo episode you haven't heard or one that you loved. And uh, oh, yeah, last thing. Send us some fan art. Yeah. We will happily accept your fan art yes. and we will credit you and you get 5% of the $0 that we make off yeah, of it. Hit, hit us up at Ergo. Uh, throw a little hashtag go back Ooh. if you want to check out an old episode and if there is something that really stuck out to you. We may even make a little special audiogram. There you go. In your, in your honor. So with all that being said, let's get to our conversation with some of the folks behind the Chicago Black Social Culture Map. We are very excited to be in conversation with, uh, you know, usually it's a little like two-on-one situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we got a trio over But the here. room, the room's full. Um, some of the folks behind the Chicago Black social culture map. First off, <laughs> why don't you all go ahead and uh, just introduce yourselves a little bit. Let's go, um, let's say names and... What you have for breakfast this morning? Mm, we'll just okay. go down the line. All right. <laughs> uh, I am Maida McNeil, and uh, I had uh, coffee, banana, and uh, some cereal. Okay. Yep. I am Larissa Johnson Akinrimi, and I had some African um, chicken and a cup of um, juice. Nice. Lauren Lowry, and I had almonds. Solely almonds. I'm not a breakfast eater. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, for each of y'all, how is the world treating you and how are you treating the world? Uh, the the world is treating me uh, wonderfully mm. right now. There's a lot of blessings, a lot of good stuff coming. It's packed, mm-hmm. uh, but it's good. And I feel like I'm trying to, to do my best um, to, you know, uh, treat my circle right, uh, lift people up and all mm. the work I do. So. Cool. How about y'all? I think the world is treating me wonderfully. Um, I am trying to, I'm I'm most likely a person that controls a lot of my elements. So I try to make sure that I move solo a lot Mm. just so that I can be in control in the way that I want to shape things as opposed to involving people that might try to control or manipulate my situation, whether unconsciously or consciously just try to be mindful of that it's a time of uh creative energy mm. so i'm giving out and in the in the hopes that you know i can infect and inspire others to do the same cool what a wonderful question <laughs> thank you thanks <laughs> for me today so you know, in general generally i'm always happy to be alive the world is treating me well i woke up this morning you know, as a spiritual person, you know, you just got to be happy with that. Uh, but, you know, a lot of things I need to change in my world. Hmm. And a lot of things are sort of changing around me. And I need to focus a little bit more discipline, a little bit more discipline. So a little unhappy with myself with some of the decisions that I've made when I look back. So attempting to move the forward in a different direction, in a different mm. direction. Mm. Hmm. 
So it, it's, it is really cool for us just as people who, like I said, usually it's kind of a two-on-one. And we talk to people a lot about collaboration, but very rarely do we have multiple collaborators in the room together. Um, and, and kind we of have hearing. to talk about each other behind each other. That's usually how it breaks we down. We would have stirred up some drama <laughs> if we got y'all alone. But let, let's, start with, uh, let's start with the project that... Um, you know, I, I've known about the work of Honeypot for for a while, but seeing seeing the work of this map and how it's lived in, in different spaces, let's start there. What's the like one sentence description elevator pitch of the project? But more importantly, uh, Maida, let's start with you. Like, what does this project mean for you? I generally don't do one sentences. We got all the time. Me. That was that's <laughs> an entry point. Multi-layered. I'll just let you know. There's no pressure to get started. It could be as little. But as but the, the map, I think, it's the like mission, a 99 cents and up story. Right. <laughs> the, the, the mission of it is to uh, preserve and uh, continue to grow the uh, kind of archive and stories of Black social culture uh, and production in the city of Chicago. Mm-hmm. We started the work out as a performance project, which is how we kind of get at most of the knowledge that we're uh, culling up in, you know, in Honeypot's work, is we start with performance and then and things grow out of it. Um, this particular, the map project grew out of, um, we had done several works around house music because we all grew up with it. It was all influential in all of our lives. Um and so we made this work, an evening length work called Juke Cry Hand Clap that was really thinking about what our house's connections to like the earlier uh, black social traditions um, mm-hmm. that inform it. And that we hear it in the music and we see it in a way that people uh, party together yeah. and socialize uh, so that, you know, while we might be in clubs or discos or, you know, the, the spirit of the lounge and the den and the rent party, those things are still present. Yeah. Um, and so wanting to figure out how to document that. The work began with with mapping. Hmm. We, we always do a public process that um, invites people to create data stories with us that we'll then take back into the studio. And so for this one, it was literally cut up a map and have everybody take post-its, so low-tech, and just, you know, what are your memories or what do you know about your family and, you know, where they went. or uh, And so that started conversations and built up this whole map that had, like, over 300 spaces on wow. it. And sit so on the back end, it was like, well, what do we do with that? We got to do something with that. It can't yeah. just, you know, drop there. And so we started uh, this mapping project uh, with the idea of who would live online and then have like slowly been um, bringing in all these great folks who are on the scene, have lots of connections to uh, the current scene, past scene, and also, you know, Lauren as an archivist, uh, having that expertise to bring that into the room hmm. uh, so that we do the work right. Yeah. But I love the idea of it starting out as not just source material, but contribution through process from the people who are either in your audience or who you're trying to make sure that you're bringing into the room with you. Beyond this project, kind of how did that um, methodology evolve mm-hmm. for you? Or, or what, what's your entry point into understanding, like, if I'm going to step on stage to do this performance, I want to be bringing these pieces and doing that intentional connection and collaboration. Yeah. Can I add on to that question? Sure. About, like, the methodology, because... What I hear you saying is that it started with an inventory of the spaces. So it's like it was spatially rooted, which is, I think, really a significant choice because I think oftentimes, particularly with cultural histories, particularly performance art, we think of individual practitioners or performers. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think a big part of kind of our early thesis of this show is like, that there are particular spaces, usually grassroots kind of underground spaces that create these vibrant cultures and social mm-hmm. political thrusts. That individuals grow out of. Um, and so and so, what was that choice for everybody of like, let's start with the spots? I'm going to like swim through all Absolutely. of that. Uh, collaboration is like, that's in my bloodstream. I don't know, it's, it's how I've always worked mm-hmm. um, since forever. Whenever I, I started uh, kind of making works as a dance maker, performance maker. Everything has always been about how do I bring groups together, um, draw on them the gifts and the skills of the people who are in the room with me, and build on that conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so this this is no different. Yeah. Um, and the play, you know the agents, the players just kind of shifted a bit. So it moved outside of the the inner circle of honeypot yeah. um, into all these fabulous folks that you know we know have knowledge and wisdom and are as passionate about uh, protecting this culture as we are. And so wanted to to grow that with mm. them. What's the part I've missed? Why start with the space? spaces instead of, you know, you yeah. can say, oh, Flunk Farley's over here and, you know, Steve's and Curly's. It's, it's important. Yeah. It's, it's significant that, you know, Chicago is uh, vast and these neighborhoods are different, you yeah. know, um, and the kinds of spaces in which people socialize, it's, it's not all the same. Like yeah. there's a difference between large open spaces, banquet halls, lounges and dens and bars and things like that where uh, – but all this, the traditions, the culture is passed on yeah. uh, in all of them. A lot of our culture is defined by the spaces that we went to. Just like Lauren asked you what high school you went to. Mm -hmm. I mean, I went to Kenwood. That in itself was a social space. Mm -hmm. We had parties. Our, a lot of the DJs, a lot of the promoters, even today, still thrive on that. Mm -hmm. You know, you have a different type of social culture. Um, we dress differently from the people that lived on the west side or mm. may have gone to the social spaces on the west side. Um, they dance differently. Mm. Some of them had different types of handshakes. So that's why you would, in my mind, start from the spaces. Mm -hmm. I'm really interested in that the southwest distinction and like trying growing up in my time and learning particularly more from like a hip-hop lens or like a, a street tribe gang culture yes. lens of the difference between what the South and West Side is. Mm. But I, I would love to know in like the house tradition, what were the differences? And if it's beyond just like this abstract side of city, if there were like particular neighborhood pockets that had real distinctions of like, oh, we we jack like this over here and y'all y'all are whack. Like what, what were those distinctions <laughs> looking like? I don't know if it wasn't like that, but how, however the... The particularities. You're were. picturing the movie Beat Street. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you are whack over there, brother. <laughs> the uh, Chicago Southside Film Festival just screened that on Friday. Beat 35 Street. years nah. anniversary <laughs> of that movie. So it's really interesting that you would mention that. Mm. <laughs> so we just did the West Side um, at the Social Justice Center. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And on the West Side, uh, there is a clear, clearly defined lines that they were influenced by blues mm -hmm. um so the the dancing the culture the dress spoke to that and i would say that on the south side i wouldn't say that we're more jazz we're more into jazz mm. but i grew up in jazz you know mm. um i i'm not really into blues um but my father was a jazz musician and my mom was a, a dancer so my culture still stems from that and i still I'm very much into jazz, mm. even with excursions and uh, uh, a lot of the parties that I frequent or promote, they're more on the jazzier side. Mm. You know, the music is influenced by jazz. And I, I I can't say that it's because we're on the south side or that's more that what we're rooted into. Yeah. But it's a very clear distinction. That's really interesting. What yeah. would you say? We did just uh, have uh, an event that focused on all the different types of musics that were around the west side of Chicago. So whether that, whatever that music form was. But what I recognize, I have a really sort of interesting take on, well, not interesting. I'm always interested. I believe in, it will be interesting. <laughs> I'm interested already. <laughs> I'm, I'm always interested in sort of the similarities of what Africans do hmm. globally, mm. locally. We have so many things that all that influence us. Certainly, Church influences us. Uh, gospel music has influenced us. So if we think about the root of all of our musics, as I see it, mm -hmm. you know, sort of, I think, comes from that. I think gospel influenced everything. Yeah. And so, you know, whether we took it one way or the other, you know, some people think the West Side is more Mississippi and maybe the South Side is more Alabama. I don't know. But, <laughs> you know, I think we're all very much influenced. I think the South Side, just because of distance, sometimes we didn't spend as much time on the West Side. Mm -hmm. And maybe we thought there were differences, but within house music and the purveyors of house music mm -hmm. at that time, 
felt connected. Okay. They did a lot of things in different places. They didn't think it was oh so distant. West Siders came to the South Side. Some South Sider Siders came to the West Side to do <laughs> some. work. So well, that was a very <laughs> but, distinct. You're like, well, we could name them on one hand, but yeah. <laughs> but the promoters did, and <laughs> the DJs did, and wow. that's what's important. That music flowed from South to West Side. Maybe we didn't all know what the others were doing, mm-hmm. but they were. We were doing the same things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think we're starting to get some seeds of it, but we're talking about the big project. And I asked like the big structural historical house question, but what's y'all like personal story of of it being introduced? to that culture, where were you shaking a leg? Like, what was that first moment? Like, was it a thing that all young people were doing or was it like, oh, I got to sneak out and like lie to my parents to get to this? Like, what what was your entry point into to the tradition? I've always been in the club. <laughs> my mom. Always? There, well, there must have been a point there before. Been a my mom was a dancer. Uh, my dad was a jazz musician. Uh, I can say that I've always been in the club. That's beautiful. I've always been on a dance floor. My mom was uh, went to Kennedy King in the seventies, mm. and they were just a big ass art scene, you know. And that I can one imagine college, just outfits um, alone. Yeah. Dancers, Kennedy King in the seventies, uh, musicians, <laughs> spoken word. Yeah, um, I was always in that culture. Mm. And then when I was with my dad, I was always on the stage with him um, at the Blackstone Theater at a lot of the spots, you know, downtown. Uh, sitting in on sets with him. And um, I always saw lots of dance. Um, I was always exposed to it. My first entry point into an actual party, I would say they used to have these kitty discos at The Taste. Oh, wow. Um, which is on 63rd Street and Low. So I think I was the, about The eight. Taste was on? The yeah. Taste of Chicago was on the, 63rd No, The Taste. It was the a taste venue. Is a club. Is a club. Yeah. Oh, see? They I'm used a young to have club. these kitty discos. And my mom used to take us there. So I would, think I was about eight or nine. That would have been 1977. Mm. Yes. So you were kind of present in space pre-house yes. then? Because what's the like unofficial like year marker? Or is there an official year? Well, it was year? disco first. Right. right. But when so we like, started calling it or knowing it a house, where did early we trace that to? 80s. Early 1981. 81 is? The warehouse began in the mid-70s, went to 81, I can't remember. But... Um, when it closed, by that time, they were already calling it house music. Okay. And then a particular gentleman, a particular DJ, suggests that he created the first house music record on vinyl, and that was 1983. Okay. So by that time, we, everyone was up and running. Mm-hmm. I like that you referred to him as a gentleman. <laughs> How about for y'all? What was the entry point? Because she deals with him often. That sounds frustrating. There's a lot of arguments gentleman. about who started yes. what right. missed that. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I don't even want to just say uh, there was a gentleman who pressed a record. <laughs> This weekend, there was someone who made a you thing that weekend. Yeah. Just, you know, as a historian, yeah. okay, uh-huh. I'm just gonna right. say, they're like that historian says she's re, re, redoing the record of what it is. <laughs> but like, they make the claim. Just, <laughs> the that's why we archive this, so we could just show them that this is when it was pressed, and here's the date, mm. and that's it. So we're not. I can't show it to you right now. So yeah. you have you're to, in the you're in the creating like receipts business. <laughs> that you do you have that timeline? That's what the map is about right. as well. Because right. like one of the things that we wanted to do with this map was open the story up because mm-hmm. there is a kind of predominant narrative that mm-hmm. really focuses. And it's you know I, I get it uh, close to people's hearts. Arts. You want to preserve and protect protect that uh, origin story. So there's a certain way that it gets told, right? right. And certain players that get focused on. But in order for that music to grow and live, like, it's it's got layers. It's got, you know, uh, different tributaries off yeah, of this yeah. main river that... Um, that tell this larger story. And that's what like all of these map events that we've been having over the year are trying to get at different angles of that story Mm -hmm. and open up places where like they connect, overlap, like, you know. I love this way of telling history, right? First of all, the history making of it and the the owning that process of like, y'all are the history makers of this or some of the history makers. Uh, And not the like event maker, but the turning it into a historicized uh, archive. But let's talk about the live events for a second. What have the live events that you've been doing uh, been providing to this work that couldn't have happened unless people were in a room together? One of the things that we noticed with when we opened our the honeypot circle out and brought in other folks to help try to write these entries was that 
you know, there's a certain amount of stuff we could find by Googling, researching online. We're beginning to understand, like, some of the local archives where stuff is. But some of that stuff isn't written, and we have to find a way to, to you know, eke that out. And so right. the idea with these live events is to try to draw in people to tell all of these narratives, and then hopefully that'll bring out other folks Um and to also encourage um, the archiving of people's, you know, to, to save the ephemera and yeah. uh, the artifacts uh, that are uh, also key to telling the stories. Hmm. I just wanted to add that um, out of all of the live events, I think, and all of them are just remarkable works. And just to see some of the archives that they bring to the event are just amazing. But there was one something that really happened differently on the last one. Hmm. They were talking about these public spaces. Two of the gentlemen, they had parties there, the firehouse. The building is no longer in existence, but they, from the firehouse, they started like an after-school program. Yeah, there's a mm-hmm. community right. arts org over there right. in, on Hamlin, I think. So one of the guests that I invited was an alumni of that after-school program, and he was there to tell that story and that nar- narrative. So it just goes to show you that even though these spaces no longer exist, it's evolving because it turned into something else. Mm-hmm. So that's also a part of the the social culture. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm interested in, in hearing about some of the intergenerational dynamics in the tradition. I'm curious, one, I'm 27 just to place myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm curious, one, are there like, some common misconceptions or misunderstandings of younger people? And um, has there been like a... Just in general? Yeah, of, of the tradition. <laughs> yeah. um, and has there been like acts of transfer? Because it, it, it feels like we did not pick up and continue this very important legacy and it's like elsewhere in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like young Chicagoans are not as actively connected to this tradition yeah. presently as we should be. Oh. Is that is that true? For sure. Okay. I think that that is one of the challenges that actually people are beginning to recognize. Mm-hmm. And I think part of that stems from a lot of, again, going back to this, like people holding stuff so close that they're not sharing it with yeah. the next generations, mm-hmm. uh, I think that we're beginning to see a shift with a lot of those OGs, you know, of these, the story that they're beginning to understand that if mm-hmm. we don't share it, it dies, right? Mm-hmm. But I think that while we're waiting for that to grow, <laughs> we, we do have this, this kind of problem where a lot of young folks don't um, understand that older history and kind of think of, you know, there's misconceptions of house beginning in Europe, yeah, right? Yeah. And that is not, That's not the case at right. all, you know. That's yeah. absurd. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I, I do know that there are uh, a few um, innovators, uh, Ray Chardonnay. Yeah. They all tend to have their own mm-hmm. following. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't really necessarily lapse into what we're doing. Um and then the AM FM, uh, um, she works with um, yeah. Benita Applebaum. Oh, yeah, so we yeah. do have some uh, young, younger folks oh, you know, are, are who are homies. on the. It's cool yeah, to see them named yeah, in lineage. Yeah, yeah. And I, I know them, and 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 I, I'm just really impressed with them. So we do have some, but we don't have many. Mm-hmm. So we are, you know, we're trying to. I'm interested that you just named also phenomenal, lovely people mm-hmm. that are part of our mm-hmm. our family, um, but also young black women. Outside the the intersection of like queerness. And so under the layers, like the gender and sexual politics of the space are really important. But just the fact that those were the people that you named as like the resurgence or the innovators locally right now. Um, In terms of the history or the map, where does gendered like kind of praxis come in into telling the story of, of House? Archivist time. Well, you can't tell the story of House without talking about, you know, people of color. You can't tell the story of House globally anywhere without talking about people who were gay and lesbian and transgendered, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So those stories have to be told if you're talking about house music in Chicago. So I think there might have been, you know, sort of issues around that to a certain degree. Some people were not accepting of a lot of people. But I think if you loved house music and you wanted to party the house music at some point, there's a certain, I think, era of Chicagoans who gave up that being angry with or not being happy with or feeling like they're not like me. If you wanted to dance, you wanted to be at the party. Yeah. You you wanted to hang out with everyone. So the story is throughout the map. 
the story is throughout all of our events. Those stories are prevalent everywhere. And we're going to tell that story even more at the Center on Halstead on October the 18th. 19th, Saturday. 19th. Look at yeah. that, just right into the plug. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, th- I mean, like, I think um, it's definitely, you know, come through a lot of the, the uh, events this year. But our first event of the year, that was a Stony I- uh, Island Arts Bank yes. uh, focusing on South Shore. It was focused on kind of the black queer scene. Yes pre, you know, what we know as house, late 70s, in the South Shore (laughs) neighborhood. So everything from kind of Jeffrey Pub to the uh, parties that people were having in their apartments because there were larger spaces, you know, in the housing stock over there. So they were able to have these big parties. Oh, that's such an interesting little, like, uh, reveal moment of like, oh, they're... The, the houses were bigger so they could have more people in for the party. <laughs> right. yeah. That's, did, yeah. did Jeffrey's Pub recently get closed now? No. 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 Okay. still open. Okay, I thought I had heard something. No, no. You know, that, that being one example of, of a space where this was happening, you know, we, we had um, Essence McDowell on the show recently who yes. does these um, black women's history tours. Mm, one of the things yeah. she was talking about was the challenge and the unique possibilities of telling a place-based history when so many of the actual locations no longer are standing, right? So for y'all looking at this map, are most of the buildings even still around, even if they look differently? Mostly the buildings are gone? No, they're mostly gone. And I've been I've been wanting to do a work or a body of work uh, with the city of Chicago to actually make place markers <laughs> to tell the story. Um, and I don't know how we would do it if it would be just in bed in the ground like you have uh, the Hollywood marks. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But it would be a placemaker to say that this was here, <laughs> a picture of it, and, you know, um, just to tell the story. And then also um, going to savingords.com and working with them to uh, have some type of, uh, okay, just leave a wall, you know, if you're going to tear down the building. Use one wall, you know, if you want to tear it down, you know, and then we can use that as a place marker because it becomes cultural equity for the community. Mm -hmm. Um, And to me, you know, a lot of the places that they're knocking down and they're building, you know, these mirror images, that's not cultural equity for the Mm -hmm. community. Mm -hmm. Um, People need to have institutions that tell the story and that are history Hmm. marks Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. for the community. That reminds me of, um, there was, there's a, I can't remember the, the little, it was a smaller club on the South side uh, that, uh, had been a uh, after it closed down as a club. Had been uh, some other kind of business, hair supply store, a laundry, or something like that. But the the current owners, whatever their business is now, there was a mural that was uh, covered up that was at the original club, oh. and they renovated the mural, whatever, restored it. And so that exists now inside of that business. Yes. It might be a beauty supply store right. now. Mm-hmm. But, like, you know, I think that that's, mm-hmm. that's the kind of thing that, you know, we want to see more of right. to reveal the... Mm-hmm. The biennial is coming up, the architectural biennial. Yeah, it's open and now, yeah. And I know that that's one of the spaces that um, is on the tour. How do y'all imagine the audience of this? Is it folks who... And, you know, this is just kind of from a process perspective... Is it this act of mirroring back this, the histories that people know in themselves as memory? Is it for people who are participants? Or is it for folks on the outside who are like, I know there is this story of how people live socially and make art and have changed the world, but I don't know the entry point. Is it an external kind of gaze or, or is it more for the people who have this memory being transformed into history? It's both. Yeah. It is yeah. both. When we did the first one last fall, one of the things that I, on the internal side or like, you know, the, the folks who, are, you know, um, are part of that history. One of the things that I really loved was to see because that one was really uh, intergenerational and cross genre was like blues and house and record industry. And it was, yeah. it was some of everything. And it was it was like almost like this uh, networking event after like, to see all those people kind of sharing stories and being excited about each other's history, recognizing the importance of it by being in the same space together. But then I think it's also really important that just, you know, people who are curious or, you know, just want an entryway into some of this history that they feel like, you know, here's a space where I can learn something yeah. from local experts. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And not that, that someone doesn't have to be degreed to be right. an expert. You have to right. be a participant to be an expert. Yeah. Well, house music is global. 
as I see it. So I think people from all over want to hear that story, especially those people who did believe at one point that house music was birthed in Amsterdam or birthed mm-hmm. in Berlin. So when they hear these interesting stories, like, what do you mean it was birthed in Chicago, and there's an event that comes up, people want to come. We get hundreds of responses to attend these events, and they're from all over. They're from young people to older adults. I mean, we just had almost an 80-year-old speaking mm-hmm. at one of these mm-hmm. events. So certainly, Dropping gems. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, people come from all over. But I think, you know, it really is a, a very open event. So we, we try to make it so that everyone feels comfortable coming and contributing and listening. Yeah. So for y'all who did not grow up believing that this created in Amsterdam or Berlin uh, and who had real proximity, and this is connected to your personal history as well, in doing this work, what of your assumptions were, were challenged or disrupted or changed? Because we talk a lot up here about the relationship between history and memory, and there's usually some distance. And so your memories and your thoughts of, I thought this is how it was, or this was my, my claim about the culture, but in doing this work, I'm now speaking about it or thinking about it differently. Did any of that happen for, for y'all? Okay, I'm, I'm going to see if I know what you're saying, but um, in all of this work, in all of my histories, and everything that I've done in terms of movement and traveling, everything is always about the space, the equipment, and the DJ. Mm. But no one ever talks about the dancer. Mm. And the dancer is, in a, is, a, is a very uh, critical element oh, yeah. <laughs> of the party. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know? So, so that is more of what I'm interested in and continuing this process is involving more of the dancer in the piece because mm-hmm. it's important. Yeah. yeah. Also talking about more of the women mm-hmm. players, mm-hmm. the DJs, the hosts, the bartender, Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, um, the dancer, yeah. the person on the flyer. Right. Th- those type of elements. And then even the fashion. I mean, there are just so many different components that we can talk about. I'm so interested in the, the, the lineage of flyers <laughs> and flyer models, too, because I don't know if this was the case then, but now people who are on flyers are at none of the parties of the flyers. <laughs> and that's just a really interesting, who are these random, beautiful people? That, <laughs> these stock photos. Yeah. Oh, my Lord. Are there any, um, you talked about the dancers. So I, I'm I'm very like versed in hip hop, and so you know I'm, I'm comparing kind of to like the early breaking b boy tradition, and there were some you know crazy le- there are people who have like some legacy or fame or, or was able to reach notoriety. Yes. Did anybody in the dance scene here locally like get some name or get some clout off off the house scene? I don't know of any of the dancers. Lady Soul. Lady Soul, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. We've had Lady Soul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shout, out, shout out to Lady yeah. Soul. I love what you were saying, though, just to bounce back about the centering the dancer as a, as an integral part of the performance or just as a, of the experience. So in a very different musical world, my dad's a drummer, and he talks a lot, and he plays for, <laughs> I won't go too far down this line, but he plays for, like, these circle dances, basically, and he talks about, like, he's playing more with the dancers than he is with the other people in the in the group, right? So he's watching their feet more than he's watching the melody, and he's as much responding to them and driving them. And if, if he's not listening to them, uh, then he's not doing his job. And I know, you know, in a different again in a different world, like as a DJ, that's so much of it is about that interchange. And and so I'm curious for y'all. I think sometimes it gets framed with this power dynamic of like the DJ moving the crowd and moving the audience, but. Maybe just as a, as an outsider, seeing in how so much of it is kind of reciprocated, right? Of like the crowd actually moving mm-hmm. where the music goes and where and where the dance moves. How do y'all think about as documenters and also just as participants that relationship between uh, DJ and dancer and and kind of the power dynamics in that? I just saw this fantastic film by a filmmaker David Weathersby, where he discussed. He actually showed in his film a party that was happening, and then just like that, all the power goes out. And what happens? Does If the music stop, does the dancing stop? Does the energy stop? Absolutely not. People will bang on the floors. Yeah. They'll bang mm-hmm. on the walls. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, I think that's kind of how we were even as young people oh, yeah. in the early 70s and 80s with the music. I mean, we were happy to be together. We were going to dance. The, the, the music is phenomenal. Mm. But if it stopped, we would have kept I party. remember on my way to, because I, I went to Whitney Young, and my commute to school. A Kingwood oh, Whitney Young table over here. Is this <laughs> what this is? Lynn Bloom is just the Lynn best Bloom, high school uh, in the history of the world. My dad went to Lynn Bloom. <laughs> but on that commute to school, when we got on the blue line to, to you know, get to get to school, there would always be a musical track being beat out on the, and it was it was typically house mm. rhythms mm. that people would be, you know, beating out on the way to school on that That's last funny to think about the buses wearing down faster in Chicago because the, then in New York because the drum beats are faster so they're hitting more. <laughs> yeah. I, how much, yeah. how much uh, I feel like live instrumentation doesn't get thought about in the house tradition. I'm a, I, 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 I'm being around, around a lot of like drum Kevin circles Everett, now. I think is it when he comes out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's hard to get him out. Um, there are some parties that do incorporate uh, live instruments in the environment. That's excursions. Um, I don't know about the other parties so much. Um, and then Afro Disco. They bring a lot of live instruments to incorporate like in the party. Like I play the percussion so i'll bring if i feel like carrying all that stuff <laughs> cowbells and hand drums mm-hmm, and things like mm-hmm. that just to add to the yeah. ambiance um tekken t- does that as well yeah tekken does that shout too. out to tech that's yeah. my guy but, but mr the, ali too we cannot mr. Ali. Mr. Ali. right yes 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 the music was kind of started because electronic sounds had become available to right. people. Mm-hmm. And so people realized that they could make music and not be musicians. Mm-hmm. And so they added to the disco, they added to the jazz, blues, all the different forms of mu- black music that they'd come up with, added electronica, added what was coming from Europe, and created new music. So it started somewhere, you know, disco had real music, right? right? But I think we were creating things and then we decided, hey, guess what? We can play this. So people yeah. started forming bands and now you do have a lot of people who will tour whole bands with house music. Oh, that's cool. They're not necessarily coming out of Chicago, but they yeah. are. <laughs> it's, it's still in that. Yeah. They are in a certain way yeah. coming out. Yeah. Mm. I want to think about how to make best use of this of this time because there's kind of two to the, there's one one impulse that I have which is like let's just get really good house stories up here because mm-hmm. we haven't really brought that history <laughs> really in but I, I am a little more curious about the some of the methodology of this so it, you said it started with materials being gathered for performance and then it became this digital tool and now it's this live event space why do you think this project in particular kind of has had the legs to keep rebirthing itself and also by starting with the performance aspect, what do you think that's given y'all's lens to the rest of the project? That if you'd have just been, we're doing an archive project, there wouldn't be. Because it's embodied. Mm. And there's like a, to me, there's a another kind of knowledge that comes mm-hmm. out of mm-hmm. the lived body. Mm-hmm. Um, How do you think about that? What do you mean by that? There are certain things that I think can't exactly be be said in language, yeah. right, mm-hmm. that are about uh, how we connect to space and place and to other humans. Mm-hmm. I- I'm about <laughs> trying to think through issues using this instrument, mm-hmm. right? I think the ultimate goal is just about how we dialogue better, how we live better together. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of that has to come through how we deal with each other body to body. That's, I don't know. Yeah, no, there's so much... Uh, potential in there and thinking about um, all the ways that we communicate that don't involve words and how that works hand in hand with the words that we do use. So what are some, not lessons, but what are some things we can take from a beautiful dance floor that you think would be helpful interpersonally in relationship? Well, one thing I would say is that I think I came to know myself through house music, right? Hmm. Like something about awakening to my my sensuality, sexuality, Mm -hmm. and um, a sense of myself through a dance floor uh, and being in club space was really important to like that so, development. Yes. Yeah. And and to piggyback again off of what she said, is a sacred space. Hmm. Dance floor is a sacred space. And also to go back to what you said, um, our stories is cultural equity. And we're all in situations where we're teachers. So not only do we use this in our social practice, but we also incorporate these stories and this lived experience and this this emotional journey that we've carried from us, but we also pass it on to the next generation in our classrooms and any experience that we move in. 
So there are bigger institutions and corporations that have made profits on our stories. To me, because we've lived these experiences, I feel like it's our responsibility to be the cultural stakeholders. Mm -hmm. I'm one of those people who's not a performer. Mm -hmm. At all. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I am generally, as I mentioned before, primarily interested in Black history and people valuing and recognizing Mm -hmm. uh, and understanding the importance of Black history. So this became something um, that was extremely important to me on a historical level, making sure that we could absolutely prove what we all knew. And as people of color, we're not really told, we haven't been told, I would say, in the last 400 years that our history was important, that was critical to preserve and celebrate. So people have done that in many other ways. Lots of other things have been historically sort of valued. But Chicago, if you think about its black music uh, history in Chicago, it has not been valued. The city of Chicago is only recently attempting to assist itself in bringing more light to our history. There's no gospel museum. There's no blues museum in Chicago. There's blues museums all over the world. There's, I mean, people value black people and black music all over the world, but not really here in the way that you see it in Europe, the way you see If you go to Montreux Jazz Festival, you're going to see yeah. Hundreds Three black of thousands, people. All these people. Yeah. The minute yeah. you come in, statues of Louis Armstrong, statues mm-hmm. of all these great musicians. So even in the states, New York and L.A. Now. has a, probably a greater appreciation. Studio Museum in Harlem has all kinds of jazz yeah. work, and they have ambassadors that go all. Yeah, yeah. So this is just, I think, thank God for Honey Pop Performance and Maida here, who has really brought this to the level it should be. It should be even bigger, and I think mm-hmm. they have the resources to do that. That's why we're. Very, very excited to be collaborators with scholars and people who are also morally human, <laughs> which is not always a scholar, by the way. You know, some scholars, you know, that kind of thing. So, you know, thinking about the next level of giving and being, you know, contributing people who have contributed so much to Chicago and other people and to the world, because mm-hmm. EDM is global and that's house music. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, gospel, blues, all these things are global music forms birthed here, certainly helped to be cultivated here, and no one recognizes Chicago the way it should be. Mm-hmm. And now we're assisting in doing that. That's mm-hmm. beautiful. So to connect a, a few things I, I, I hear, one, just like that his black historical significance and like the, the remembering and bringing knowledge to information. Um, and I was also really moved by what you said about the body being this unique form of communication and dialogue that like language and and verbal communication can't fully access. And so I want to like go deeper into the the social and the social cultural, because we can talk about like the rhythms and the steps and the spaces. Um, But I understand like the social sphere as how people interact and how those interactions define our humanity. Um, And so whether on an interpersonal level, like where there are different values or agreements of how people interact and speak to each other or treat each other in these spaces, or collectively as black people, as Chicagoans, as artists, um, are there like larger social claims that come out of this cultural tradition beyond just like the art artistry of, of like here's another way to be in relationship with each other. It's a very big question. It was just me mm. trying to listen, and that's where, where my thoughts. <laughs> <went>, so. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the easy. That's the easy one. Easiest question oh, about house music. Get to the it. Great, the thing that people always say about house music is, if you go to any house music space, it's about love. Right. Mm. You don't have violence. You know, no one's angry. It's just about the music and the dance and the feeling and. Um, <sighs> You know, that's the great thing. And that's what people always say. You have 40,000 people, maybe 30, maybe 25,000 people at the Chosen Few picnic. Right, right. And there's never an incident. And it's been going on almost 30 years. Right. So yeah. that's the kind of positiveness yeah. that it has. But, you know, without... Why? Is that right. organic? Like, why is it so beautiful all the time? Someone came, <laughs> someone, someone came from uh, New York uh, last month. And he said he just loves coming to Chicago because it's one 
big, enormous hug. Uh-huh. Um, in house culture, you always begin with a hug mm-hmm. and a kiss, mm-hmm. you know, and then everybody goes to their prospective spaces on the floor and either they're using powder, you know, to make their 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 feet a little bit more slippier okay. uh-huh. to move uh-huh. around or they're getting themselves ready and position themselves on the floor. And there's also this floor culture, you know, right. this is my space. You may you know, entering mm-hmm. it by dancing. There's there's ways that we interact with each other's bodies, mm-hmm. not necessarily any touching or, mm-hmm. you know, um, there there's a lot of different practices mm-hmm. within within this space, but it's all about love and it's all about respect. Yeah, I need to I need to know how and why. Like was it, it is it hippie culture? Is it because it's church? Because cause okay, I was not alive in the eighties, but I know black Chicago in the eighties, right? And so they're there was struggle. There was there was suffering, and often struggle can bring out love. But there's usually something. There's some tradition. That's, where did all of this love just it just came organically? I mean, I think just, part of it is just like a lot of the music is positive. Right, right, music right. is about uh, love, or you know, em- embracing, uplifting your community, Gospel. your circle. I mean, for me, like I was never a um, organized religion person. Mm-hmm. Partying was my way of having church uh, with yeah. myself. And, you know, it was communion with other folks, sweat it out, take all my, you know, we hear it all the time. You take your, you know, all the bad stuff from the week or whatever, you go into that space and you let it out. Mm. It's catharsis, it's all of that. Yeah. Um, that's what that space, what I grew up with, right, mm-hmm. is what it meant. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. You, you do hear that a lot. Like, I've understood it as an idea, but the actual like transcendence of it, right? And you see it in religious traditions too, like that repetitive rhythm, that physical it's movement. Like Pentecostal and like Right. Yeah, yeah. Like there are yeah, all these right. all these ways that it connects. You hear sometimes people talk about it, it's like a higher plane or like a, a you're elevated in a certain way. Just based off y'all's guess, what is going on there? <laughs> <laughs> like what do you think based off being in that moment, what's happening to you? I think house music and within house music, the early traditions if you think about the warehouse and some of these places were birthed by gay black men, I think people wanted to be accepted. Mm. And this was a place where they were accepted. They were at the parties being accepted by everyone because everyone wanted to come and dance and party and hang out. And I think that brought some joy. Mm-hmm. But we also have to think about sort of the political space in Chicago around that time as maybe I think too much about Africanness, but no, you, you know, do not. I do think no, that no, let's keep know, going. Mayor Washington <laughs> running for office, yeah. black people becoming more powerful in this mm-hmm. city is a positive to people. Yeah. I think it showed a lot of really positiveness for everyone. They were like, man, things are happening. People mm-hmm. were starting to feel confident. We're going to have a black <laughs> mayor. I mean, people were starting to feel good about themselves. And I think that also adds to sort of the spirit that people have when they're dancing and partying together you know, if you think about sort of where the space yeah. we are in today, you know, the contrast of our political space is so tough right now yeah. that people are angry with each other, saying nasty things. I think we were in a different space then. People mm. were feeling more confident about the future and about being more accepted. Hmm. That's really interesting. I'm thinking about like, you know, not being alive during Harold Washington's time of just that that 08 election moment of mm. Grant Park, of, you know, we talked to Bill Ayers a couple of weeks ago about it, of just a few hundred thousand people kind of in euphoria in the streets. And like, you know, I have political critiques, but like that day and that night was so important for mm-hmm. all of our lives, for my life as a 16-year-old. So I, I kind of can see that parallel of like right. that. If we kept making music from that night, like that would be super <laughs> turned up. I heard, I heard so much Nobel Peace Prize. I mean, globally, yeah. it made everyone feel more confident about mm. the the future the of the world, of humanity, and then We're you think in a very about different it. Place now, and Harold, not just as symbol, but as an individual, mm-hmm. right? And like it, it wasn't just like, oh my God, there is a person. It's like it's him in no, particular. <laughs> There's a. I heard someone tell a story about there was like bumper to bumper traffic on the Dan Ryan, and his motorcade went across one of the like um, overpasses, and people got out of their cars and waved. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Like just to the motor love. car, like that, like so what love. that means yeah. Yeah. in terms of people's yeah. like feeling of of connection to it. That's a good overlap. I have a question. It's it's silly. Let's go with it. I don't want to offend anybody. What's what's the relationship between the stepping community and the househeads? Ooh, Ooh, great question. This is my presumption. I have mm-hmm. no no information. I imagine the step is a little like. Mm. <laughs> Steppers are crinkly to be. The steppers, <laughs> the, the steppers, the steppers are their own crew entirely. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But we do have a lot of 
quite a few steppers that are on the okay. scene. I feel like there's um, a lot of competing for spaces. Yeah, he, like he's really big on the on the stepper scene. I mean, the matching outfits, uh-huh. the dance steps. They they got the competitions. Uh, Kat Mahari, I don't know if you know her, the dancer. She's learning how to step and bop, okay. and she just did a body of work over at Three Walls last week, and her process spoke to combining stepping and house music uh, together. So is, is that new or was that happening? It's, it's not really it's, new. It's not new because I, I remember, you know, mm-hmm. they're all connected. So yes. I can remember in high school that young people were like their parents stepped. Yeah. And so they would bring, you know, if somebody played like mind blowing or whatever, yeah. like they, yeah. they're going to yeah. step because uh, they know those steps mm-hmm, from their mm-hmm, parents. Mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And they're going to bring that into this space. Like it's not cut. You know, it's yeah, not, I feel like the steppers have always been parents. Yeah. Like at every generation, the steppers were the parents of the kids. It's like just, at some point, young people had to do it. Because I just think about ste- a lot of steppers, like lounge spaces now are like yeah. 25 up, 30 and up, 35 yeah. and up. And like they're like, we hate kids. But they were that age. Yeah, were they at stepping at 23? <laughs> all right. So as we're coming to the end, of, first of all, one of our guests has to hop out of the studio. So thank you so much for being here. Yeah, I really appreciate, appreciate your contributions. Obviously, this project has taken so many different forms and lived in so many different ways. Let's let's do a little imagining. Where do you hope this lives one year, five years, 10 years, 20 years from now? Uh, I want to see an institute mm. for like black vernacular practice, ah. you know, um, and that's a scholar talking. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Yeah. McNeil. That is about yeah, yeah. like the power and knowledge. Institute of vernacular and the, and the same. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So want to want to have a space that is about the power of uh, social culture and that these are languages that they have histories, you know, everything from kind of hip hop to house uh, and the movement uh, vocabularies that come out of them, exploring uh, jacking and all of its variations uh, to uh, footwork um, mm. And the way that that is growing and evolving as well, wanting to have a place that can continue like this format of like discussion, storytelling that way. But also, I think, do more of what uh, Larissa, I think, is really interested in. I am, too. But I feel like we had to kind of like start in this 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 place where we start collecting the stories, but to really get people uh, who are, you know, movers or musicians or whatever to like bring that practice the right. actual it's not just physical about the memory or, yeah. yeah and you know how how do we explore that uh i think the online piece of it this digital map could grow yeah. um we did a summer program with sojourner scholars from mm-hmm. uh, illinois humanities last summer and uh it was like our first kind of like test of like how do we bring this to young people yeah and engage them. And so like they were they were really interested in mm. the archiving research piece about these spaces that they didn't know existed mm. uh in neighborhoods that they frequent, yeah. you know. But then also of looking at like well, what's different, right? That they don't have any place to go. Right. We don't have any social spaces like that. Right. We're afraid to go outside or when we go outside we're told get out of these Our all the spaces we try to go right, to, yeah. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know. So there's really no place there's for no us. There's no public and no private, mm-hmm. right. right? There's no no room to be yeah. together. Yeah, um, you know, to be able to have those larger conversations, to be able to teach and pass on the traditions, but then to have these intergenerational conversations yeah. too. Mm-hmm. And then more importantly, when we do have these uh, cultural institutions developed, having the youth as our stewards, mm-hmm. that is a key factor to bringing the younger folks into the picture Mm -hmm. i think big zoom out like big big structural picture right we're talking about black people we're talking about black culture uh particularly here in this city and my understanding of systemic racism is that it is like spatial uh so one just really excited to have learned probably if i would guess i would have thought 30 spaces but to hear it's 10 times as many of that as 300. But I'm really curious in terms of learning how we are surviving, how we are resisting, how we're being liberated to know the pattern of how those spaces were closed out, right? Like, was it a lot of politicians and like coding? Was it landlords and, and price raising? What were the, the mechanisms of revoking, pushing out, closing down those spaces? Were there patterns to that? Um, because I think even beyond this dance culture, 
collectively learning that pattern, particularly about our culture? Is there any mm-hmm. patterns in terms of how we lost some of those spaces? Oh, yeah. The land grabbing and redlining has always been um, the key factors in mm-hmm. any of spaces being closed. The difference now is, and then I had spoke of it 20 years ago I with some uh, people that were on the scene. I said, you know, we need, we need to get really involved with our political leaders. We need to be at those meetings. We need to speak our stories, you know, and talk about how important the house music and Black social culture is. And we're lawyers, we're doctors, we're teachers, we're professionals, we're um, social justice uh, people who are interested in keeping this culture alive. It saved our lives. Um, And parallel it with the past versus the present. Mm -hmm. And also to go even further to say that these kids nowadays don't have this. Mm-hmm. We are now, we are in a place where we can help mm-hmm. this movement. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and I think we we are still developing that big picture, like to mm-hmm. understand yeah. the patterns um, as we continue to drop things in mm-hmm. and uh, hear these other stories and how they intersect. But I, I definitely know, you know, like late 80s, early 90s, um, city council, mm-hmm. a lot of rezoning, yeah. um, you know, making way for kind of gentrification mm-hmm. and, and turning yeah. a lot of neighborhoods into uh, condos and thing, you know, mm-hmm. places like that, that there was a lot of, uh, I, I definitely experienced that, like that we were Me running too. to try yeah. to find parties because they were being shut down all the time, all right? The time. Because uh, they didn't want the noise in that neighborhood or whatever. Mm-hmm. So that that was a, a real, a really huge factor that killed nightlife. You and know, then they created these it. laws. Didn't kill rave it. laws. Right. Mm-hmm. The liquor the laws. The rave laws yep. right. and the liquor laws. Yep. You know, if you didn't get a license, your party could be shut down. You could be fined. You could be jailed. Mm-hmm. Right. And the difference between who could get 2 a.m. Right. license and 4 a.m. Uh, yeah, right, right. uh, licenses, the closing down of juice bars. Like, there was a whole juice bar movement, right? Mm-hmm. That, like, uh, actual juice Mm-hmm. Yeah. Juice. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, like, actually, like, what? What, what do you what mean by that? The it, what, that is supposed to be like non-alcoholic. Ah, right? I got you. Right, right, yeah. Right, right, right. <laughs> I don't want to put any yeah. any juice, juice bar proprietors on blast here. So, so which it's communities, as, as, as we're closing down, which which commute for you personally, or if you want to th- look at it more historically, which communities or neighborhoods really stand out to you in terms of protecting and maintaining this legacy? Mm. I mean, I I gotta say that I really from the the one the West Side Justice Center event mm-hmm. that we just did in September, it really made me feel like how important it is to map that whole scene deeply mm-hmm. to understand not just um, kind of like Dance Mania Records and uh, those mom and pop uh, kind of record stores that were mainstays like George's Music Room were mm-hmm. out of the past records. Um, but then also like the the whole blues, you know, they the where we were, uh, it was wonderful to have a blues man in the room who talked about like the sh- the strip that we were on right there. He was like, it was just dotted with blues clubs, right. you know, mm-hmm. um, and black businesses, right? Um, so to be able to to uplift that, mm-hmm. I think. The other thing that I want to talk about that nobody likes to talk about and whenever I talk about it as to other people, especially when I'm in the room with policymakers and things like that, is that who gets to tell the story? Why is it more equitable for a larger institution to tell the story than the person who owns the record store? We're the people that live through the blues. We live the experience why? Because you're a big corporation and you have the funds. Do you get to take our archives and our stories and make money off of it? And it's always like a hush-hush. Hmm. No one wants to address it. Hmm. Yeah. So for y'all in, in envisioning where this lives, having that as a central ideological and methodology piece, what are some mechanisms that you're trying to create to make sure that that's not what happens? I mean, I I envision a very honest, methodical, and mindful conversation. Mm. Whether it happens, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I'm interested in, you know, 
the vision of this institute that it will be in one of these neighborhoods. Right. Well, that's I, my preference is that it's space. West Side, mm-hmm. you know, um, but that like it's a brick and mortar small space in a neighborhood that has the capacity to be, you know, that we we have uh, archiving space and like that's Lauren and Skyla's thing. So yeah, yeah. I'm not even going to talk about what what should all be in there, you know, to keep uh, artifacts and things like that, but also um, to have, you know, space where we would, we could host these events. People might actually be be able to dance. uh, Yeah, where there could be, you know, workshops and uh, programming happening where there would be an extension where young people could be, you know, uh, there'd be some kind of after school program or summer program where folks are are, are learning. Yeah, I mean, yeah. almost like a yeah community center in a yeah. way. Right. This has been beautiful. Before Thank we get so out of much. here, we have a couple. We're going to do a little checkout, and then I think this is a good opportunity for our new game. Yeah, game the checkout. All right. Oh, game the checkout. Got you. So very excited about this. This is a this is a new game. We're probably in what week three or four of it. Mm-hmm. But we use beef here playfully as a tool of accountability here at Ergo Radio, and we invite our guests to join us in this crusade against sex of the world that have run amok. And so we have made a really expansive game. It could be person, it could be event, it could be anything. But we want y'all to start some beef. All right, let me tell you the parameters. The parameters of your beef. <laughs> it, it is time-based. It's this would be one. good as, as historian and as, history uh, viewers. We're very excited. Y'all are uniquely positioned to play this game <laughs> as, as studiers and practitioners who have done the work. Who has run the muck? The entire 20th century. Be for the 20th century and why. The look at y'all's wow. head. <laughs> so it could be house related. It can be some, some anti-house uh, oppression of some or sort. Or it could be something that has nothing to do with anything we It could we've be anything about. at all. From the assassination of Archduke Frank Ferdinand <laughs> to Millie Vanilli. <laughs> That's how I'm going to preface it from now on. Okay. I like country westerns. I got it from my father, and it's just so crazy how I like country westerns because I was raised pro-black, and there's no black people in there. Mm -hmm. And I was raised in the nation of Islam, and I'm still— I'm I'm still I'm I'm Muslim. Mm-hmm. Okay, I can just put that out there. But I I still go to a lot of uh, the Nation of Islam as well. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a whole mm-hmm. whole different that's story. story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um there's was... no black people in the country and westerns. That would be my beef with the 20th century. Is that there were not 20th enough black century, people in the not enough black folks in country west. Cuz there were a lot of black people in the country and in the west. Can I actually right. offer an addendum? Yes. Uh, of information beef? that I got off the internet that yes. like I just took as fact. And there were black cowboys, <laughs> too. Ton, yeah. That's where I was going. Yes. So, actually, the phrase cowboy meant black. Right. Did y'all know that? that no. It was, no, that I didn't was know a that. It, it, it is a derogatory term. Yeah. Uh, so, cattle ran- ranchers oh, were seen cowboy. as white. The boy. Think of, like, right. hear that boy yeah. with the, I heard the, yeah. the cowboy over there. So, the idea of a cowboy is a black person. So, the idea oh. of black people being pushed away from westerns or pushed away from country or pushed away from cowboy identity it's like jigaboo it's like you know that, that is it's like j- jazz right like that was a, a derogatory term about us that then became popularized and then once it got like some mainstream status blackness was then erased from right. it the internet okay. disagrees do they? Yeah. So what they're saying is that cowboy is a direct English translation of vaquero, which is the Spanish word for someone who managed cattle while mounted on horseback. So, so that's literally so the black a cow. people managed the cow. So here, here's what they, they said. The if you were white, you were called a cattle rancher. Well, the ranchers are the owners. They own, which is still racially coded, but it's a like lab, different labor terms. Yeah. So I'm not saying it's wrong, but I'm curious. Whether the I'll go. I think it was like a Vox thing or Vice something. It was like a documentary. It was like a little clip. It wasn't just like a a, a meme. It was something that was researched. So I'll, I'll right. look that up. Okay. All right. You're not off the hook. What's uh, your What's your 20th century beef? <laughs> uh, the rise of Wall Street. Bang. Okay. Oh, see. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Right Excellent. there. <laughs> from, from Bonanza to Wall Street. We're it all here. <laughs> what a game. <laughs> I love this game. But let's check out real quick, just in one word or a couple words. I know you're you're anti-short senses, so I'm with you on that. How are you feeling right now or anything that's really sticking with you from our conversation? I'm going to promote our, our show. Yeah, yeah. Our no, event. there's room yeah, for yeah, plugs for sure. That's what I'm going to do. Uh, you know, we have this final event of the year. It's been, uh, this is the sixth uh, event um, that we've 
throne, and it's at center on Halstead. Uh, is focusing on uh, North Side queer social life, um, and so will be a mix of kind of black and white and brown, mm. and the ways in which uh, folks cooperated and did not. Um, in in social space, mm-hmm. uh, there'll be uh, one panel that's really focused on uh, the wider North Side, and uh, another panel that's focused on kind of uh, Boys Town Belmont mm-hmm. and some of the kind of iconic spaces, Belmont Rocks, uh, Black Pride, mm-hmm. um, and some of the tensions in that area because yeah. uh, Black and Brown folks have not always been welcome yeah. and working through some of that. Uh, we've had some recent things that have happened, I think, uh, that'll get brought up. And then the final panel, which I, I'm excited about, is Medusa's. And um, so that was like, uh, for my generation, <laughs> it was a, a really important space mm-hmm. where like it was a mix of all kind of folk. I think that was where I also got really um, into new wave yeah. and uh, punk like and black yeah, skinhead. I was right. Skinhead. <laughs> <laughs> Introduced to all of that, Shaking so that I, I'm looking forward to that being like the final conversation mm-hmm. to close out this year. And yeah. for folks who want to learn more about the project overall and see the map and all that, where where's the easiest way for them to find that? Uh, we have a Facebook page, which is you know the Chicago Black Social Culture Map. Uh, Honeypot has a project page on mm-hmm. our website where you can find uh, all info on it. Um, yeah. Cool. Thank you all both so much for being here and all, all three of y'all for being in conversation. We'll be back next week with another person reshaping the culture of Chicago for the more equitable and creative. Much love to the people. Peace. Hey, Rosie. Yes, Daniel. Do you uh, listen to podcasts by any chance? Sometimes. Do you like how they sound? Not really. Well, you should really listen to podcasts on Overcast. Overcast is an independent podcast app that embraces the open world of podcasting instead of locking it down. No exclusives, no premium content, not a single paywall. It's just a great podcast app for everyone, including you. Huh. You can get it for free on the App Store. Hey, Rosie. Yes, Daniel. Do you listen to podcasts? Sometimes. Do you like how they sound? Not usually. Well, you should really listen to your podcast on Overcast. It's an independent podcast app that embraces the open world of podcasting instead of locking it down. How do you feel about exclusives? You know, where like you can only hear it in one place. I don't like that. How about like premium content where you have to pay extra for it? No, thank you. What about like a paywall where you can't even see what it is until you pay? Uh Uh-uh. Well, the good news is Overcast doesn't have any of those. It's just a great podcast app for everyone. Great. You can get it for free on the App Store.